It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Well, what to say? Manchester United have done the league double over Man City. Scott McTominay wraps up a third win of the season over the Bitter Blues with a first-timer from long range, which seemed to hang in the air as all of the Stretford began to rise to its feet. A wonderful moment where time just stopped for just a second and then raced ahead into hours of celebrations across Manchester and the rest of the world. For now, at least, Manchester is red. United are still fifth, though, and this is the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Enjoy the show. The double is definitely Manchester United. Too far for Ronaldo to think about it. Absolutely sensational! It's red in Russia. This English night in Europe is Manchester United's night. As always, we'll have our youth loan women's roundup um, in the middle of the show, but we're obviously going to start in the the only place there there is to start. Jack Solskjaer's tactics were absolutely spot on, and yet again, he has he's proved himself in a massive, massive game and and a season-defining one. And he's proven yet again that he seems to have Pep Guardiola's number. I mean, <laughs> I think he he's only the third manager, is it, after Jose Mourinho and, and Antonio Conte to, to do a league double yeah, it's, Pep it's, Guardiola? It's third, but it's actually it's Nuno Espirito Santo as well. Oh, of course, yeah, he's done it this season, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, a fantastic achievement from Solskjaer. And I think probably more so than any of the other games against City this season, I would put a lot more of this victory on... Solskjaer I think you know especially the league game at the Etihad we were very much hanging on we got yeah a, you know a penalty and a, another goal on the counter-attack and I wouldn't say necessarily the tactics were the reason we won the game as opposed to City just really missing chances after carving us open a hun- yeah, hundreds yeah. of times especially in, in the first half but this game this weekend was very much a, a very very good tactical display from Solskjaer yeah. he set us up perfectly and the, the tactics worked to nullify City. You felt like you were watching a, a really well-coached Manchester United team. And I, I'm i not sure we've been Absolutely. able to say that for um, that many times over the last few years. There's been occasions where you've looked at, at teams under any of our managers and thought, yeah, look, they, they, 
they've clearly been told to go out with a game plan and they they look like they're doing it. But this it just felt like you you looked at us defending and thought, yeah, every, everyone's got a role here. Everyone knows what they're doing. And that, sh- that should really be the basics. But against City, to, to be able to go out there, have that plan and to out-coach Pep Guardiola, and I don't think there's any doubt that he did do that on, on this one occasion, is really impressive. And both goals were, were very clever. The first was clearly created on the on the training ground. Um, Martial feigning interest and then the, the chip from Bruno Fernandes. A bit fortunate with Edison, but then the second was a, a result of Dan James pressing in, in the 95th minute, still pressing, and McTominay following up. And the, just the, the, the team selection and, and the... Uh, um, not not necessarily just the tactics, but the team selection and and the way that they clearly worked on the defensive structure and keeping that shape and, and the discipline was was as we say. And I'm going to use the word impressive far too much today, but <laughs> that's that's what it was. Yeah, for me, it wasn't it wasn't just the defensive structure. You know, we've played five at the back before and and had some pretty good success with it. But I think in a lot of those games, the success wasn't necessarily down to the system it was just that we were sort of putting putting bodies on the line getting something in the way and and kind of riding our luck luck so the other team doesn't score you go back to uh Liverpool 1-1 at Old Trafford the City game at the Etihad both of which you know we played five at the back and we we got good results but I think we were very much hanging on whereas here the five at the back was implemented so so well you saw we were so aggressive at coming out the centre-backs being able to step out with Aguero, with Foden, with Bernardo Silva, Wan-Bissaka, Brandon Williams were pushing up onto the right-backs and left-backs at times when they received the ball. The whole point of five at the back is that with those extra men in defence, you can be more aggressive at stepping out and pressing people. And that's exactly what we did. And I thought it was very, very impressive the way that Solskjaer set us up. Obviously, with that, that aggression in mind, we made use of the benefits of having five at the back. Yeah, and, and perhaps unusually for for one of these really good games where we, we normally say Solskjaer's gone out and set us up perfectly, he's, he's done the right thing and then made it a little more difficult for ourselves with the substitutions and this time he really he helped to change the game with the substitutions. We were 1-0 up, Scott McTominay came on, really settled things down when he was brought on, a real calming influence, he, he kept United shape well and then Odi Nogalo came on and, and just as City City's pressure was kind of becoming incessant and and not you you didn't feel like they didn't they didn't look like they were about to score but you, the the pressure was building the stadium was was getting really nervous i was looking around in the stretford end thing, like people were turning backwards there were just people with hands over their eyes and this was for this was 10 minutes before the end but odinagalo comes on and and his hold up play was absolutely fantastic uh, the perfect move the social was right to bring Bruno Fernandes off, who was getting a bit tired. He was right to bring Anthony Martial off, and not only did he bring Agallo on, but um, he shifted Dan James over to the to the left. He had been on the right, Martial on the left. Dan James moves from the the right hand side to the left hand side, and blocked the pass to to Cancelo, who was offering like quite a lot of an outlet to City. Um, and where did the second goal come from? Well, pressure from the left hand side from Dan James. So it was uh, the substitutions were something to be to be praised. I mean, Agallo's hold up play is quite spectacular. Honestly, yeah. at least from what we've seen in the first few weeks, there was I think pretty much his first touch after he came on was a a, a high ball launched yeah, up from David De Gea yeah. that was trapped instantly right in front of him. And you're just thinking, what? Yeah. I mean, you know. You know, we, you know, we had a message uh, from Co- Cozzy on Twitter the other day just saying that Bruno Fernandes is getting all the praise and rightly so, but it's kind of over- overshadowing the impact that Odion Agallo is having. And I think that's a good point because, I mean, every every time Agallo plays, he's offered us so much. Even in just a few minute cameo against City, 
He was instrumental in getting us out. And I, and I said before the City game that I actually thought Igala should start for this reason. And you know, obviously he end, ended up working out very, very well. But I think that was exactly what yeah. he can bring us in big games because his hold-up play is so good. And when we are under pressure, and I think you know, regardless of how well you play against a team like City, there's always going to come a period in the game when you are under a, a spell of sort of constant pressure. Igalo's hold-up play offers you such a good outlet that I don't think yeah. we would ever have with the likes of Martial or Rashford up front. And it showed, I mean, even even just in the run-up to the, to the second goal. Igalo's yeah. holding off, was it Fernandinho, I think, plays a nice little back heel to Fred. And, you know, the two goals, we you know, we yeah. get some luck. I don't think it was necessarily a foul on Bruno Fernandes. And then, you know, obviously the Edison mistake, and then we get another Edison mistake for the second goal. But we earn that luck. And, and again, the difference between this and the previous games against City this season is City maybe had one clear-cut chance the entire game. And you don't often say that about Manchester City side under Pep Guardiola. It's the lowest number of shots that City have had in any game in the Premier League this season. Wow. Um, with seven. And it's the... City have managed to achieve... It's not really an achievement. Um, at least an, an expected goals for people who like them. Um, which includes me, of at least one in every single game except for two this season, both of them against Manchester United, including the one on, on Sunday. So the, the the way that we managed to keep them out is is not only brilliant, but also no other team has, has done that in the Premier League this season. And I mean, they scored twice at the Bernabeu. This is a, a City team with some incredible attacking quality. And we know that as well as anyone having seen them tear us apart at, at Old Trafford in, in the League Cup in, in January. But this was just, the, everything looked perfect with the defensive structure. And as you say, I think we both thought Igala was probably a good shout to start. And I would have said, obviously Martial starts, and then I would have said Igalo next to him, um, then Greenwood and then James. But in fact, I think Dan James proved that he was the right choice. I thought I thought Greenwood be- because of his hold-up play, but James's pace was incredible. He had the energy right until the end, and and that comes from resting him recently. And his pressing was was absolutely vital. And the the outlet that he offered, especially in the second half, was so valuable. So the, there's clearly been that idea to play him in this game for a couple of weeks and, and Solskjaer's done well to, to get him to have that incredible energy because to, to, as, I, as I said or mentioned a couple of minutes ago he he brought the, the pressure on Edison forced um, him to, to throw that ball into McTominay's path that was the 94th minute and he, he's still chasing down the goalkeeper at that point so clearly his fitness work has been good coming up to this and it was the right choice to start him and, and not someone else I mean I think the the final product in Dan James's game is becoming a bit of an issue. There were multiple times in the game where, you know, he, he probably could have done better. Maybe we could have sealed sealed the game earlier than we did. But yeah. I think there is also an argument to be made of whether we would even have been in those positions without Dan James because his movement, his running on the on, on and off the ball was was genuinely brilliant all day. I mean, every single time we won the ball back in defence, you, you always sort of knew that Dan James yeah. was the outlet. And, you know, there there were times when his decision-making wasn't great. You know, when there was the shot in the first few minutes that uh, ended up shooting at the near post after being slipped in by Bruno Fernandes. There was another one where Solskjaer was visibly annoyed with Dan James that he didn't square it to Bruno Fernandes. A couple of other opportunities where he had good... He was in good positions, he had a lot of space to run into and lost the ball. But it's the kind of thing that's going to happen with a player at that age coming from, from the championship. And for me, the bigger thing that he did was he offered us an outlet so well for the entire game. And, you know, I think long term, there definitely are some very valid concerns about his end products. But for now, 
I think it was he 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 offered us a lot against City that I don't think we would have got from pretty much any other player in our squad. Yeah, I think he made himself valuable enough to he he missed a couple of pullbacks to to Bruno and and Martial at, at a couple of points during the first and second half. But I think he made himself valuable enough to to make up for that. We should start moving on to some some other players, but generally we've done the league double over City. Actually, I, I was going to just name who we've done the league double over. Can you name the two other? Premier League teams that we've done the the league double over this season. There's three. Man City's one of them. Chelsea. Yeah. Uh, who would the other one be? Who have we played twice? The third, third one's quite a tricky one. Yeah. It's basically what what rubbish team have we played twice and actually <laughs> managed to beat both on both occasions. Oh God. Um, uh, they're, oh, they're not a northern team. Not a northern team. But they're not quite a southern team. Uh, I honestly don't know, mate. Let's go Villa. No, East Anglia, Norwich. Oh geez. Well, that bodes well for the quarterfinals and the FA Cup. Yeah, it does indeed. Could make it a, a treble. It's been a treble over City already. But you, you know, you can add Spurs, Leicester, and Brighton to that by the end of the season. We're playing them all in the in the next couple of weeks. But but we were fourteen points behind third place a month ago, and now the gap is five. And this is a this is a brilliant period. And I think because of the the way that we all got carried away in the first good social period and then a second good social period, everyone now is saying, well, we need to build consistency. But this this is consistency. And as always, the caveat goes that if it falls apart in the next week or so, it could fall apart dramatically. But two goals conceded in 10 games, eight clean sheets, seven wins, three draws, zero losses and 24 goals scored. This is 10 games unbeaten. You're scoring, scoring freely, not conceding basically at all. Two goals conceded in 10 games is, is an astonishingly good rate. And that's in some pretty easy games in fairness, but it's also having played Chelsea City and, and Everton, etc. Et so this is a, a really good run and is setting up the end of the season if it if it is going to be played in the in spite of coronavirus is setting up <laughs> the end of the season to be quite a good one for I, I think for what's most impressive for me about this run is that we've we've played all types of teams within this run you know you go back to the start of 2017-18 when what was it we we were unbeaten at the start of the season you know went on a very good run it was all it was all against sort of bottom half teams even in Solskjaer's amazing run when he first took over as United manager with the exception of I think maybe the Spurs game uh, at Wembley everything was against sort of bottom half teams whereas we've played all kinds of teams in this run you know we've played Chelsea we've played Man City we've played Everton we've played a whole host of, of bottom half teams and in the kind of games that we've struggled in and we've still managed to come out on top and it hasn't been perfect you know we've had a few draws along the way but generally I think this is by far the most positive that any United fan could have been at this stage in the season, given where we were, say, at Christmas. I think, for me, the biggest thing is the excitement is back about watching Man United. Um, I tweeted this before the Derby game, that I, I was excited to watch Man United and I had been for a few days. And honestly, you know, you always get excited, I think, on on match day and, and right before the game. But it'd been a while since I'd had that sense of anticipation for a few days leading up to a game because it almost becomes a chore at times watching a team that you just don't get any excitement from watching. And I and now I am excited every single time I know that Man United are playing. It's, when, when's the next game going to be? You know, why can't it be tomorrow? Yeah. Um, and that, that in itself is, is a great barometer, I think, for how the team is performing and, and the joy that Solskjaer has brought back to the club. Well, And I, th- I think, you know, obviously it all needs to be taken with a pinch of salt. We don't know what's going to happen, but 
I think that everyone in the club deserves deserves a lot of credit for the last ten games. This not everyone, run. but certainly the, the the players and the coaching staff. Yes, but I think it's, it's also it's worth remembering the the emotion of of the not just the the, the good run in general, but the the game on Sunday. It's that Solskjaer has managed to revive the the connection between. And and this is what he said almost immediately after full time that he's revived the connection between fans, players, and and the manager, which had been lost for for years. And and sometimes you look at things that United say or do, um, like removing us from from the iTunes store during the week, and think this isn't really my club anymore. But now on a match day, certainly this side hide away that feeling because you love them all. You see Igalo celebrating at the end. He he joins the kind of team huddle in the corner by the Stretford end after McTominay's second goal and then he wheels away and kind of just windmills with his arms about four times. And he just, the, the there were bodies flying in the Stretford end and he felt like Odi Nagalo just wanted to jump in and join it. McTominay, the, the passion with which he celebrates, the way he spoke after about... You saw Harry Maguire doing a similar thing to exactly, Igalo yeah. as well after the second goal. yeah. And it is you. You feel this this celebration. I didn't actually see any of the actual goal celebrations because I suddenly appeared to be under many many people after the second goal. But at the final whistle, I was watching the players while celebrating, and you you can just sense when the players are really buzzing and or when they're taking kind of a professional win forward. And this was one of those where they were pro- properly buzzing, like they were at, at City away in the league. To be fair applauded both sides of the stadium and, and that doesn't always happen they made their their walk off the pitch slowly and you, even someone like Martial you could tell was visibly buzzing and and that effect not just on the the current squad but on players who are potentially joining in the summer or who are considering joining Manchester United and when they do join to have a positive squad to go in where the connection between the fans the player and the manager is is positive um, forgetting that for now the concerns with the ownership and, and the, the way that the club is run that's a, a really good thing to have I mean I, I have not seen Old Trafford like that in a long long time I mean the atmosphere the the feeling around the club is, is different to what it has been for a number of years I mean in the last even before McTominay scored the last five minutes of the game it was constant just massive massive noise from Old Trafford and it had been for the entire game, even in the first 10-15 minutes when we actually didn't start very well, uh, even in that even in that period, you know, Old Trafford was absolutely buzzing. It was a brilliant atmosphere, and it it just was a, another reminder that there is still life in in this club. There is still so much passion in all the fans, and that haven't abandoned the club. And Solskjaer is bringing them back in. Solskjaer is is restoring that connection, that faith. And I mean, you know, we can we can talk about you know, X player and Y player and this tactical system and that tactical system. But in some ways, the foundation, the bedrock of any football club is the fans. And they are the ones that really drive this team forward. And they are the ones really that that stand to benefit or or lose from all of this. And I think so often in the last few years, Manchester United has not put its fans first. And I don't think it ever will, to be honest, in, from a, a, a executive board perspective. Yeah. But at least what's happening on the pitch, there is a real, real connection with the fans. And I, I mean, I think it shows just in, in the likability of a lot of the players as well. I, th- I think yeah. we haven't had a, a squad this likeable, probably even since before Sir Alex Ferguson retired, to be honest. Um, you know, I, I think that every single one of these players wants to be at Manchester United and that goes a long, long way to, as a supporter, being able to see yourself in connection with this squad. Yeah, and I... To be fair, I, it was it was quite obviously a, a brilliant atmosphere, but I didn't 
at, at the goal, you, you're kind of not thinking, is this, the, is this the loudest I've heard it for years? You're just you're celebrating the goal, you're in the moment. But I, I came out to a text from an Arsenal supporting mate who'd been watching on TV who said, um, I hadn't heard a noise like that from a, an English football ground for, for years. And another one from a United fan who couldn't make it, who's, who went a lot during the 80s and 90s, who said, um, I hadn't seen a surge forward like that in the Stretford end for more than a decade. And it was like, well... There are things being done in terms of the Red Army section that are trying to get the atmosphere going, but this was the the best thing to get the atmosphere going is obviously a, a good match on the pitch, a good result, and that's it's been building and building into that, and that moment was kind of just amazing, and it was a culmination of a really good run of form. Let's talk about some individual players rather than just how satisfied we were with that result, <laughs> Fred another really good performance is he is he one of the Premier League's best or do you expect his level to drop a little again at some point I'd, pro- I'd probably say no to to both of those questions I think at his current level even if he stays like this he's, he's not I wouldn't say he's in conversation for the Premier League's best midfielder but I, I don't see any reason why his level should should drop from here because it's not like it's not like he's doing things that are unsustainable. You know, it's not like his game is built on 50, 60 yard raking passes that it, he might be completing every single one of them right now. But just realistically, law of averages says that we'll even out. That isn't yeah. that isn't Fred's game. Everything that he's doing is not easy by any means, but it's repeatable. It's very simple. He doesn't really do anything that you would say you would expect to sort of level off at some point. It's just... He's a nuisance in defence. He's everywhere. He's his energy is fantastic. I mean, even in the in the build up to McTominay's goal, that Fred is the one offering that option for Igalo to back heel it to in in the was it ninety fourth, yeah. ninety fifth minute. Yeah, I think I think that's one of the positive additions to his game has been the fact that he's he's really helping getting counter attacks going now. Whether that's freeing someone up, it's the same yeah. way that McTominay does it actually. Um, obviously not for for his goal, but a lot of the time McTominay's started counter attacks by receiving the ball and just giving it away quickly with a, a simple pass but that's basically what what is needed and I think Fred's been doing that a lot either by intercepting it and then just giving it there's so many times in City quickly. where as we were attacking Fred was the one from midfield joining in and then, but then rather than you know if it breaks down we lose the ball he then walks back it wasn't it was a it was a full on sprint a re- proper recovery run to get back in position alongside Matic and that it goes yeah. unnoticed and it won't you know, it's not something you really focus on as you're watching the game, but that that is massively, massively important to a team functioning, especially defensively. And it was the same even as as Edison was throwing the ball out for, for McTominay's goal. You look at Dan James, he has about half a second where he starts sort of jogging as if he's like, oh, God, I can't believe that hasn't worked out when Fred tries to play the ball through to him. But then instantly he's back sprinting to try and get back and obviously eventually leads to McTominay's goal. But... The recovery yeah. runs not just from Fred, but for the, from the whole team were incredible all day, and it, and I think it it just shows you the kind of attitude that we have in the team at the moment. Well, it's, it's almost a year on from when uh, Oligan and Solskjaer said, "I I think the quote was we should be the hardest working team in the in the Premier League." I think that quote, yeah, that quote was the, the March the ninth, twenty nineteen. This game was obviously on the eighth of March, twenty twenty, and United covered. Uh, 113 kilometres against City more than their 110 and Fred covered the most on the pitch and I'm I'm not saying United are the hardest working team in the Premier League I think most of them probably work quite similar amounts but it's certainly fulfilling what Solskjaer wants now and that is 
and people could see it without the stats, but the, the stats are there to back it up as well. Um, and Anthony Martial was was doing that as well. Worked really hard. It paid off. He bossed it against the the City back four. He he kind of just he made things a little more physical than normal. Used his strength and got a very much deserved goal, if with a, a little bit of luck. Although it was a, it was a good strike. Uh, Edison just probably should have saved it. But Martial's been brilliant since since Bruno Fernandes came in. And if he can continue like this. When Marcus Rashford returns, well, he has been brilliant. Yes, and, please. You know, now he's he's scored this season home and away against both Chelsea and Manchester City. He is becoming our big game player, and I, I don't think we ever really expected that from from Martial. It's always sort of been Rashford has been the one that we expected to kind of take on that role, but he has stepped up when we needed him. And you know, it's never perfect. There were a few moments where you think he could have maybe done a little bit better, but I mean, the volley, yes, it was an Edison mistake, and, and there's no getting away from that. But that was a brilliant strike as the ball's dropping over your shoulder. To get that kind of clean contact on the ball is very, very difficult to do. And Edison sh- still should have saved it. But that is a very difficult skill. And it's clearly something that's been worked on in the training ground. And who knows who who came up with that. But I think it's another example of the relationship that Bruno Fernandes and Martial are starting to strike up. And I mean, what a ball from, from Bruno Fernandes as well. To to drop it on a, on a sixpence like that as he did. I mean, it was just a sublime ball. But Martial, I think the other thing that I really noticed about him again is that he, he worked very, very hard off the ball too, which isn't a part of his game you normally talk about. And, you know, he's never he's never going to be a, a, you know, a G-Sung Park type of player where he's covering more ground than anyone else. But there's been a significant increase in his in his level of hard work in the last few weeks. And I think it, it's beginning to become very, very noticeable on the yeah. pitch. Um, let's keep moving on. Aaron Basaka. 11 chances created in the Premier League from open play in 2020. More than Trent Alexander-Arnold. Uh, the person who tweeted that did put it with a, a, a winking face emoji and I think that's the tone I, I'd like it to be received in. But uh, more importantly than that, first, an absolute masterclass in, in a defensive performance from Wan-Bissaka yet again. Just impossible to get past. And we, we were questioning him in the in the last few weeks in terms of his attacking quality. Uh, well, in the last few months, really, in the last couple of weeks, I've been saying it's improving, and and there was a little shimmy and good feet to get through two city players, and then pull it back at one point. And he's just he's so confident. Yeah. And I think when I think if I was if I was one of his coaches, you'd be saying every time you you make one of those crunching challenges that that he he still manages to get the ball so cleanly when you wrap your leg around an opponent and 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 peel the ball away perfectly that should give you the confidence to go up top and, and do that little shimmy and do the the good footwork the flip flat to get past your marker every time you do the tackle you should be trying to do exactly the same in in attack as well and we're starting to see a little bit more of that and against City was absolutely brilliant I've got to say that, and this, this might be a big statement but I think Aaron Wan-Bissaka is the, be- is the best 1v1 defender in the world I ge- I've genuinely never seen a, a defender with yeah. this kind of level of success, one v one ever, you know there were, and and I was I was watching uh, Monday Night Football on Sky Sports yes, yesterday, and Jamie Carragher was made a good point that there's almost a, a, an air of almost arrogance about Wan Bissaka's defending at times when, you know Sterling would pick up the ball and Wan Bissaka wouldn't even get tight to him, which you know is is sort of textbook how you would defend against someone like Sterling who has a lot of pace and who's very dangerous when he runs at you. Wan Bissaka was almost saying to him, well. Come on then, because you're not going to get past me when you, when you run at me. There's no, I don't need to get tight to you, and it happened again and again and again. And it says a lot that yeah. there is genuine conversations now about whether the next time we play Manchester City, Raheem Sterling, who 
is a genuinely world-class player should be moved to the other side of the pitch to avoid playing against Wan-Bissaka because he just couldn't get past him. I mean, it is genuinely frightening sometimes when you watch Wan-Bissaka play and there is almost just no way that anyone gets past him. I've never seen a defender one-on-one be that good. And I think going forward, it is starting to improve a lot. There have been, there are moments in every single game that you can point to and say, this is a big, big improvement against City. Like you say, where it was sh- uh, sort of shifting the ball from one foot onto the other as he was going past, uh, I think it was Zinchenko and Otamendi. And, you know, it's not perfect. And it probably never will be perfect with wan honestly. But as we've said a few weeks ago, just one or two moments per game is, is to some degree all that we need. And there has been a massive, massive improvement in 2020. I think he... His improvement this season going forward has been big and I don't think we should underestimate how much he has improved and it it bodes well going forward that hopefully in the future that can continue and he can keep improving in the same way because defensively, he he might be the best right back I've ever seen defensively. And I mean, that's a big statement. I might be getting a bit ahead of myself, but I mean, I've never seen a defender one-on-one be this, have this kind of level of, of success. It's just, it's incredibly clinical. Everything he does is, is so precise it feels and it, it you I, I understand that the arrogance bit that kind of come on to me but it still always feels like it, it's very exactly he knows exactly where where his foot's going and I think I think if you moved him into a central area and this is going back to a previous conversation when people were suggesting him to to go at centre back because he wasn't adding enough in attack which I don't think will happen um, I think w- would have been an interesting idea to play with but if if you put him more centrally what he wouldn't be able to do is the the kind of move where he, he hooks his leg around the ball and just gets it out for a throw-in, which he, he doesn't use all the time. Um, I'm not saying he, he, he relies on it all the time, but it's something he does quite a lot. So he at, at right-back, he's, he's perfectly positioned to either be able to win the ball back and, and then move forward with it, which he did against Sterling a couple of times and was just... A brilliant and and B hilarious to watch, but also he he manages to when when City or any other team on the counter attack he just hooks it out for a throw in and and that his decision making in that regard is excellent as well. I think for me the, the reason why I, why I wouldn't want him to go into centre back is because centre backs actually don't have that many one on one duels against attackers during a game. You know that might sound like a weird thing to say, but when you actually watch a game, they, there isn't much one on one between say, a centre-forward and a centre-back. It's generally all about positioning. It's more about sort of being able to read the game. And that, what, why would we take away Wan-Bissaka's the best part of his game, which is one-on-one defending, you know, not letting a man beat you? That is his bread and butter. That's what he's so yeah. great at. And putting him at centre-back would take that away from yeah, him. Yeah, right, we, we should move on. But United now have 20 clean sheets in, in 46 games and five clean sheets against top teams with a, a back four or back five who were who playing together for the first time. So it's uh, it's definitely something to be pleased about. And this is one of the things you kind of have to give Solskjaer and, and, and his coaching team credit for. And he's he said that Kieran McKenna and Michael Carrick have had a, a big influence in it. So credit to, to all of them. Um, anything else before we move on to the youth loan and women's roundup? I, I don't want our analysis to almost be too clinical. I'm really trying not to get ahead of myself here. But I mean... It's worth repeating, just what a win. I mean, yeah. seriously, it, it was bloody brilliant just watching on, on TV for me and being there for you. I mean, I can't imagine what it was like in the Stretford end. It was just a brilliant game of football to watch. And I, I, I genuinely have not been so excited to watch Manchester United in a long, long time. And I think it is worth holding on to that and repeating 
how much Solskjaer has brought that joy back to the club. Uh, and, yeah. and another moment that I think we should highlight is uh, Bruno Fernandes shushing Pep Guardiola in front of yeah. the K-Stand, which it, was it a, a lovely moment. It did, yeah, it did have everything as a as a Manchester derby goes. The United win, the the rain at the end, and the celebrations from McTominay were just. I I haven't spoken that much about it because I don't I don't really know how you put put those into words. But everyone everyone listening will have uh, have their own feeling and know where they were when when where they were watching that goal, and that's kind of what it's all about. But as it as I say, I said at the very start, with the way the ball just hung in the air. And I was behind that goal, and you're watching it, and kind of, no, a lot of people didn't notice McTominay was there, but you saw him set off for for the ball, uh, get there ahead of I think Otamendi, and then the ball just hung in the air, and you're watching it, thinking is that curling into the goal, and then it did, and it was absolute pandemonium. And then I didn't see any of the highlights. I mean, what a finish as well by McTominay yeah, to be finish, fair. Yeah. Um, but then I, I yeah I watched the I watched the second goal back. I think near nine or ten times um that evening over a over a kebab well a, a greek chicken gyros actually but to be to be specific but yeah <laughs> the just the, the sound that the the stadium makes and the, there's a great bit of peter drury commentary as well which i might try and put in at the start of the end so you may have already heard it or you may hear it at the end but yeah great piece of the thing. last time i can really remember old trafford being anything remotely close to that was when we played Real Madrid in, in the Champions League back in uh, yeah. 2012, I think. 2013 it was, February um, 2013. A long time ago. I mean, Old Trafford was rocking that night and we played we played pretty well for most of the game, but I haven't heard anything like that since. And th- my, I guess my, my one question, Harry, would be this or PSG? What's the, what's the better uh, moment? Depends what we go on to do this season. If we, if we go on to make top four, win a couple of trophies, then... Actually, no, scrap that. PSG's a far better moment. Just the, everything to do with PSG. And I think for for those that were there, it goes down as one of the greatest moments following United at all. I, I wasn't there. And I think it's not, it's not tarnished by the fact we didn't do anything, but it, it's hard to remember just how how incredible it was knowing what, what then happened. But I still think as a moment, that was just, completely ridiculous against the odds the first team to come from two Bayern in the yeah. Champions League 10, 10 players injured Pob was suspended we had kids on the pitch Mason Greenwood made his debut um, Brandon Williams travelled for the first time I think it was uh, all the factors together make it just one of the, the most ridiculous things and I think just seeing seeing Old Trafford in in that in those kind of scenes at, at, after McTominay's goal I I haven't seen Old Trafford like that in a long long time and I mean that to me was was seriously special. Just watching those celebrations and seeing the stadium rocking yeah. like that—it's something that I haven't seen in a long time. And for me, that was a very very special. Yeah, moment. I mean there were people dancing in in the Stratford End fifteen minutes after kickoff. It was pretty. It was pretty magical. The under twenty threes haven't been in action since we last spoke, but the under 18s managed a four 0 win against Sunderland on Saturday morning. Charlie McCann scored twice as both Max Haygarth and Zidane Iqbal got on the score sheet as well. Iqbal made the headlines with a lovely bit of skill inside the box. You'll be able to find on Twitter if you search his name. In the under sixteens, United won, but more importantly, and this is why I mention it, unlike usual, French striker Noam Imran scored on his return from injury. He's been out for ages and not really got going since he signed. Finally, be able to get some games under his belt, and then he'll step up into the under eighteens. The biggest youth-related news of the week is Tahith Chong's new contract at the club. 
He looks set to leave for Serie A after interest from Inter Milan and Juventus. That move seemed to make sense back in January, but it began to look a little more unlikely when reports indicated that he'd be loaned out immediately after joining Inter on a free transfer. Instead, Chong has committed his future to United and vice versa. Um, he's looked he's looked great in the under-23s, but he needs to carry it over into the first team now. Um, the game against Laskin in Linz on Thursday night might be a chance to do that. Dean Henderson was named man of the match yet again for Sheffield United this weekend. Alexis Sanchez was on the bench for Inter as they played Juventus behind closed doors. Syria has now been completely suspended, so that includes Chris Smalling at AS Roma. Ethan Hamilton was in action for Bolton against Wimbledon. Jacob Carney had a tough time at Stocksbridge Park Steels, where a mistake led to a goal. Alex Fodgetek started for Stalybridge Celtic alongside United teammate Max Taylor. And Kieran O'Hara has been suspended for six games for biting an opponent. And no action for United's women's side again this week right Lask from Linz um, from Austria on Thursday night in the Europa League behind closed doors this is going to be a, a very strange one 900 United fans have tickets to this game they'll be travelling but won't be able to go to the game now um, because it's, it's behind closed doors being announced on Thursday on Tuesday morning sorry some people have already started travelling I assume some will cancel their plans others will, will go and watch it in a bar I assume now that they've already paid for their um, flights and, and potentially hotels as well. Um, it's a, it's going to be a really weird game to watch. If anything, I mean, I don't want to say it's, it's so Europa League because this is going to happen in the Champions League and everywhere else as well. But just playing Lask of Linz in 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 the Europa League with with no fans there just feels very Europa League, doesn't it? It it does. It really does. Um, it, I mean, the only game behind closed doors that I've ever watched before was England playing Croatia. Um, after the World Cup yeah. and the first Nations League game, and it yeah. was it was quite bizarre, honestly. And I'm I I, am, I don't really know what to expect from the game. I don't know anything about Lask, to be perfectly honest. It's going to be a weird one. I, I mean, you wonder whether I mean how long most major sporting leagues can carry on with without any fans attending. I mean, the Serie has obviously been cancelled because the situation is a lot more serious in Italy. But as I was saying before, the fans are, the, are sort of the bedrock of, of the sport. And I don't really know how, you know, the Premier League, the Champions League, the Europa League are going to be able to carry on if every single game is behind closed doors. The, the, the product, seeing it from a business point of view, the product is going to be so much worse without any fans in the yeah, stadium. I, I forget that. I just, I, I don't see how you can justify playing, I think, one-off games behind closed doors of, kind of make sense as a as a punishment or for whatever the reason is but to play the rest of the season behind closed doors is is absolutely nonsensical and just sums up the the desperation to continue this and, and not actually just take a decision and say well no the football season suspended which I think they will ultimately take in a couple of weeks um, in certain countries as they have done in Italy uh, France and Spain, La Liga and, and Ligue 1 have both been put behind closed doors until mid-April, I think, until Easter. I think the Premier League will have to do something soon as as, as more cases happen. I just think at some point they're going to have to suspend the football season and I'd much rather that happen than play however many games behind closed doors because it, 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 basically, it ruins the season and it, it throws up so many issues. And particularly for United can survive without and they match their income, but... I don't know, Macclesfield or even even someone like Salford, Macclesfield, Salford, Stockport, Oldham, um, Bolton, Blackburn, these clubs can't really survive without their match day income. So to, to ask them to pay, to pay to host their games and not take any money in would be um, 
irresponsible, I think, not just a stupid decision. So I, I think at some point they're just going to have to call the seasons off rather than doing this buying closed doors business. Yeah, I'd be very, very shocked if the season carries on as normal, even with games being played behind closed doors. I mean, you saw the news story this morning about the Nottingham Forest owner contracting coronavirus and then while he was, well, we're not sure yet if he had it, had it while he was at the Notts Forest Millwall game, but I mean, that is just an example of, of the risks associated with it and, and I just don't think it's sustainable to play you know, a quarter of a, of a season with every single game behind closed doors. So I'd be very surprised if, if everything yeah, carries on. right. As a, as a prediction, it's a weird one to make. I've got no idea who, who Solskjaer will play as well. I expect he'll, he'll rest quite a few. I think Teeth Chon might get a chance. Um, maybe Angel Gomez as well, but I think Igalo will probably start front. Perhaps Greenwood as as, as well. Um, we should be be winning this game, but Laska are top of their league, I think, um, of the Austrian Bundesliga, ahead of... Then they're top of the league pretty comfortably. Yeah, ahead of um, RB Salzburg. Obviously did have Erling Haaland and a couple of other players who, who left in January, but there's, there's some good teams in there and they're top of it, so it, it, it won't be a walkover. It's just because no one's ever heard of them, really, but they're, they're, they're one of the bigger teams in Austria. It's just everyone's knowledge of Austrian football is, is so limited. Yeah, I mean... It is it is the kind of game you'd expect us to win, um, but as we said before the uh, before the Club Bruges game, it's it's still an away tie in Europe. I mean, having no fans there takes away some of that intimidation factor a little bit. But I think if you come away with a score draw, yeah. you wouldn't be too unhappy. Um, I would expect us to rest a lot of players, but I think we'll have a pretty strong bench because you know, regardless of the good form in the Premier League, the Europa League will will stay as not necessarily a priority, but still an important yeah, competition definitely. for us. I think we'll want to go far in. So I reckon we'll, we'll have a very, very much uh, changed starting eleven, but a pretty strong bench if and when yeah, we I'm need it. Yeah, just reading some information about Lask in the, I remember that I saw this in the latest United We Stand. Um, they're, uh, they last claimed top tier silverware in 1965. They were playing in the, the regional Austrian leagues as recently as 2014. But there was this was their first ever proper European campaign. They shocked PSV, Sporting Lisbon and Rosenberg to top their Europa League group and then beat uh, Azad Alkmaar. They were very happy with the draw because they haven't got very much money as the the lowest ranked team left in the competition. So the fact that it's behind closed doors is going to be a, uh, a, a... It's pretty sad for them, to be fair, as they finally welcome Manchester United. The ground yeah, is very really small. Is. They, uh, yeah, top of the Austrian Bundesliga. But being ahead of Salzburg is seen as a, a big thing for them. And they normally play in a three-four-three formation and try to press very high up the field to win it back and then break at pace. Sounds a bit like Manchester United against City, although we didn't we didn't press that high up actually. But they don't aim to dominate opponents; they aim to unsettle their build-up play, according to this person. So that's your that's your <laughs> your breakdown on Lask. Um, having read that, give us a prediction. It really is a bit of a crapshoot trying to make a prediction since I know pretty much nothing other than that blurb that you just read out. Um, we'll go with a 2-1 United win with a Galo to score it's a way it's buying closed doors they're not a great team but 2-1 would, would still be a really good result to be fair I think particularly because it's buying closed doors I think well certainly for me if I'm watching a game that's buying closed doors any kind of frustration over it if it's a draw will be much less I think I get the same one you know when you watch the game in a, in a pub and there's you can't hear any commentary yeah yeah I'm always less. I'm always less affected by the game if I can't hear either the sound or, or like if I can't hear the, the the noise of the crowd or the commentary. So I think 
only being able to hear the commentary with with no crowd noise will mean I, I won't really care about it anywhere near as much. But I think, I think it, if, it does probably lose, benefit the away team as well, playing behind closed doors. Yeah, I think it's I think it's very unnerving for both both sets of players. I mean, the, the, these United players at least haven't played. Oh yeah, absolutely. They will have obviously they've played some training games behind closed doors, but they haven't played training games behind closed doors in, in a stadium of twenty twenty one thousand. Probably since they they were kids played in the not the under eighteen Premier League because that's only come about recently. But where the the, the youth leagues they played in, so it's really unnerving. Um, anyway, we we should move on. Spurs on Sunday. That's a one which should be played in front of sixty thousand people, but we'll we'll see. Um, a, a tough one. Uh, going to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium against a, a Spurs ravaged by attacking injuries. Um, not with a great defence either and with a very unhappy Jose Mourinho yeah and according to Jose Mourinho not a good midfield either with the way he ripped into Ndombele after last weekend I think honestly at this point despite the fact that going to Spurs is never easy this is a game you would expect us to win with the problem that Spurs have the the sort of different trajectories that these these two teams are on at the moment but having said that it's still a big game there'll be a lot of emotion on it with Mourinho being in in the dugout for Spurs I mean it is a game that I would expect us to win but I think it is it's not going to be easy and I think actually one of the harder things about this is that Spurs are almost definitely going to sit very deep and try and hit us on the counter-attack in classic Mourinho fashion and I actually don't think that's going to suit us so it may end up being a little bit more difficult because Spurs have so many injuries and are on such a poor run of form. Yeah at least we've at least we've got Bruno Fernandes um, and to be fair at least we've got Odin Agallo yeah. as well who's a striker who'll, who'll stay in the 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 box I think mate this is quite a good game for Mason Greenwood as well because he's, him and Bruno Fernandes are probably the best two shooters from long range so I think I'd I'd be starting I'm I'm not going to drop Martial so maybe you change things up a bit instead of going with the five you go with Greenwood Agallo and Martial up front to try give you that really gives you three different sets of attributes um, and you're going to need that against Spurs to get a bit of variety yeah. rather than having uh, Dan James, whose pace isn't going to be that useful when his final ball isn't great. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, so gr- I think the the one thing from the City game that I that I took away is I I don't want to see Bruno Fernandes that far forward again as a starting position. You know, he was almost as a playing as a centre forward at the start of the game, and he just couldn't get involved because there was yeah. no there was no link between midfield and attack. So I don't think I think Igalo up top with Martial on the left, Greenwood on the right, Fernandes in behind. In the midfield of Fred and McTominay or Fred and Matic, I think yeah, is the way right. to go um, for me. We should wrap things up. We've gone over by a, quite a significant amount, but it's uh, it's a good week for Manchester United and plenty to talk about. Um, thank you as always for listening to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. This has been Series 5, Episode 31. For more from us throughout the week as we watch 22 men chase a ball with no fans on the pitch on Thursday night, you can find Jack on Twitter at... At U-T-D-T-A-I-T. And you can find me on Twitter at HarryRobinson64 and the podcast itself at U-T-D Weekly Pod. That's P-O-D at the end there. As I said, thanks for always for listening. Thanks for always for listening. Um, thank you to all those who have left reviews on iTunes. There's three new ones. I haven't got time to read them, but um, if I can find you on Twitter, I'll, I'll say thank you, but you know who you are anyway. Um, if you're enjoying the show, do leave a review on iTunes. Um, thank you for always. Have a great week. Goodbye.
Apple Podcast Network. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live.